from the fifth chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor, the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who, are, who were before you, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Morgan. Thanks for reading. So we're in the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes of Jesus, the blessings of Jesus uh, for several weeks now, basically take us through November. And uh, we're calling this series, The Blessed Battle. And someone who just came in said, hey, I missed the first week. Like, what is that all about? So this is a, a, a painting by Banksy, a famous graffiti artist that a lot of, most people don't even know who he is. Uh, his identity is not really disclosed. And, he, and he, he has these provocative works of art that go up all over the world. This is called Love is in the Air or Flower Thrower. Um, I thought it could be called Kill Him with Kindness. And so the, part of the idea with this series is we understand we're in a culture war, and there's a lot of churches that use wartime language. Actually, the scriptures have some wartime language in it as well. We're in very polarized times. So we, we recognize that we are in a culture war, but bigger than that is a spiritual battle that's at hand. And so the question is, how does Jesus call us to engage? What, what does he say to us about how we engage just in life? Like, I mean, we know things are happening in Russia and Ukraine. And, and my son just yesterday, he overheard uh, a news story on Alexa. And he looked at me, he said, is, hey, dad, is Russia going to nuke us? I mean, he's, this is the reality that we live in, the, these, these fears, these concerns. And so we want to turn to Jesus to ask him, you know, how do you want us to engage in the world in which we live? And so the Beatitudes uh, were given. They're, they're one of the most famous uh, teachings of Jesus, one of some of the most famous scripture we have. It's, it's literar, literarily uh, brilliant and beautiful, no matter where you're at in your walk, uh, your spiritual journey. Along with the Ten Commandments, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, probably some of the most famous words that are out there from the Judeo-Christian background. Oops, sorry about that. A little context uh, for where, when the Sermon on the Mount was given, and some of this is review from last week, but in Matthew chapter four, we read that Jesus, so if you can put yourself kind of in his shoes and just imagine a living, breathing human, human being, uh, God who condescended, became a man, Jesus is going throughout Galilee, now, you know, right around the Sea of Galilee, teaching in synagogues, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, which isn't just how do you make sure you go to heaven when you die? It's actually how do you live here and now in the world that you face in your reality? And he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news spreads about him uh, all through, over Syria. And people are bringing to him all who were ill with various diseases, 
those suffering severe pain, um, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. I'll just quickly comment that it's interesting that even the gospel authors understood the distinction between physical ailments, spiritual ailments, like there's, there's a lot going into our stories, into our journeys. It's not just a spiritual reality. It's not just a physical reality. It's, it's both. And Jesus is healing them. So large crowds are coming from Galilee, the Decapolis, which is the, the 10 cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan. They're following him. Um, in 2016, um, I had the privilege, I guess, to take a, a sabbatical. And one of the things I did was actually traveled to Israel, and I spent some time on the Sea of Galilee, which was awesome. It was, it was so cool. And in, in Israel, you know, a lot of the spots, they say, well, Jesus did this here, 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 whatever. And you're like, how do you know? You're not for sure, but you know it's really close by because it's not a very large uh, uh, space. Well, there's this church there um, called the Church of the Beatitudes, uh, built by a, uh, a builder called, named Antonio Barluzzi, if you're interested. And there's actually eight sides on this church, and it's an octagon, and, and each of them represents one of the Beatitudes. And um, so it's a place that has been just set aside for any from the, the whole world who can, who can get there just to spend time meditating, thinking about, reflecting on these famous words of Jesus. And uh, I took one photo of, of a block leading up to the space, which is um, one of our upcoming Beatitudes, Blessed Are the Meek for they will inherit the land. Actually, Ron will speak, Pastor Ron will speak on this next week. Um, I, I took an image of that one because that was my word of the year for the year. I should have taken an image of all of them. So every time we preach on this, I have a, I have a photo. Um, so this is, this is the setting, the Sea of Galilee. I took this photo. It's not a large sea. So um, when we think about space, like we're used to like, you know, Tuttle Creek, it's, it's, it's wide, it's big. I mean, Randolph is way over there. West, I mean, the space in Israel that we're describing, it, it is small. I mean, it's, it's just right there. So news is just spreading rapidly. Everyone who hears about it, they're coming with their ailments to Jesus, even before they understand fully who he is. Um, and it's, it's a really cool thing. If you read in the, in the Luke account, uh, Jesus is actually standing on the, on the plane or on, on level grounds, kind of speaking up to the folks. Whereas in Matthew, he's... On the mount, which the mountains are not tall in, in uh, Israel, speaking down. And one of the things I learned was that this, this space here is acoustically designed for your voice to carry depending on the wind direction. How cool is that? Think about that. That God, you know, he created the earth, created this space, sent his son before we have amplification and mics and all this stuff, which to make people sound, you know, louder, Antonio sounded great. Um, but so depending on the wind direction is one of the thoughts is if Jesus would go up the mountain, speak down to the people or go out on a boat maybe. And it's just a cool thing. So the Sermon on the Mount's compilation of his teachings that he would probably be giving over and over again to different audiences. And so Matthew has, has kept this for us. Quick reminder about last week's um, blessing that Josh preached on. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did anyone memorize that? Pretty much, we, we could memorize all of these verses if we just added one a week. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. Now, by way of, of reminder and also kind of building upon some of the concepts here, I wanted to show you the definition uh, in, in the Greek, which is the original language this was written in, um, may not have been what Jesus spoke it in, but what it was written in. Um, blessed, blessed, makarios, means to be fully satisfied. And so this is from a word study. Um, makarios differs from happy because happy describes a person who has good fortune from the English root hap, you know, favorable circumstances like happenstance. But in the biblical sense, a blessed person is one whom God makes fully satisfied despite circumstance, right? But because of he indwells the believer through Christ. So just a, a definition there as we go. And a quick definition of the word poor. And Josh got at some of this, but the, the Greek author here, or the author uh, Matthew, writing in Greek, had two options to choose for the word poor. One was uh, tokos, which is someone who is uh, in complete poverty, one who is in his abjectness or complete poverty needs lifting. So this would be the kind of person who's found begging. They can't work for a living. As opposed to penes, which is the poor, a poor person, but they're still able to earn their, their uh, daily bread through, through their, uh, their hard work. And so it's very important we don't get these confused because man-made religion, or when we use the word religion, uh, we're talking about, yeah, I don't have everything I need, but if I work, work, work really hard, I will get the favor I need from God. I will feel good about myself with others. That's one type of poorness. But what Matthew has in view here and reflecting on Jesus as he, as he writes what Jesus taught, that the type of poverty is complete poverty, nothing. Without the benevolence of others, without the graciousness of others, you, you have nothing. And so the kick this off, and last week was all about this, blessed are those who recognize they've got nothing. And this is hard for people who are financially wealthy to do. It's easier to see that when you literally have nothing physically. But this is the pathway, this is the key to get into the kingdom, is recognizing the reality of your poverty before God. So that's by way of uh, reminder. Well, today... We are on to the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So happy are the sad. That's what it sounds like, right? Blessed, another word for blessed and happy. Happy are the sad. So is Jesus uh, just describing he wants us to be just sad for sad's sake? No, I don't think so. But he does know how we are designed as human beings, because he himself designed us, and he knows how we are to live, because he himself lived a life, a full life, a blessed life. So the word here for mourn, nothing too life-changing on this definition, uh, pentheo, or pentheo, excuse me, in, in the original language, to mourn or to grieve, especially thinking about the loss of a friend, the death of a friend. And... Um, I think it's interesting that um, Jesus gives us these words even before he goes to the cross. So he actually has language um, for when we see him, you know, eventually go to the cross to mourn and grieve that loss. Of course, then he conquers death, being raised again. Jesus himself uh, was a man 
of sorrows. He was a man connected with his emotion. Uh, think, think about this a little bit. Uh, when we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus was an emotional man. And you can read all sorts of theological tomes and, and books and concepts that try to go around the emotional Jesus that we read about. But I think that we just need to read the text as it is and, and recognize he lived a full life. So when his friend died, Lazarus died, um, even though Jesus knew that he, he had a, a fix, a solution, he still entered into mourning over the loss of his friend. I'm gonna let you memorize another verse very quickly. Anyone know what it is? Jesus wept. And so he shows up and, and it, it says they're gonna take him to the place where his friend Lazarus is buried. And Jesus weeps. And we don't want to short circuit that. It's not about, it's, it, we don't need to make all this crazy theological sense of this and try to get around the fact that Jesus is the man of sorrows and Jesus wept. Later in his ministry, and again, Jesus, you know, we don't know fully when he realized he was the son of God or when he understood how he was taking his orders from the father. We read that he was walking by the same spirit that you and I walk by. And so at one point he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? To go and die. And so he has that in front of him. But as he arrives in Jerusalem, listen to this description. It says, as he approached Jerusalem, Knowing what he himself would personally face, he sees the city. He takes in the city, the city, and he wept over it. He wept. And he goes on and it says, you know, if you, even you had known on this day what would bring peace, but right now it's hidden from your eyes. But he entered into that grief, that mourning, that pain. And there were points of anger in his journey as well. And often the, to get to the sadness in the morning, there, the, part of that pathway is, is anger. Usually the sadness is beneath the anger. But he got there. He got to the sadness. So let's think about this morning. Um, and, and if you need to enter into to mourning this morning, and that's part of what this morning is for you, and you need to grab some... Um, Kleenexes, that's okay because we're not going to just stay there, but we need to get there. So, the scope of our morning, let's really think about this. Uh, there may be other categories, but I kind of divided this into sin and circumstance. So, first, sin. This is in reference to, you know, sin is, is that, that biblical word for the ways we fall short the ways we dishonor God, the ways we hurt others, just all that is, is broken uh, in, in the way we relate. But with sin, we have been sinned against, so, and that causes mourning. If you have trauma that you've experienced from someone else or in relationship, we have been sinned against, and that is worth mourning. But we have also sinned against others. Um, Maris and I were having a... a touching conversation with Maddox the other day. I, I want to say, finally, a touching conversation. And 
Um, poor Maddox, you know, being a pastor's kid, like the, the, the fodder for sermon illustrations and teaching, it's just, it's too good. And the reason it's good is because it relates to all of us. And so Maddox had, in an interaction, had been what I thought was very mean to another child. In a way, of course, I have to deal with my own. It's reflecting on me as a father, like what's going on with, with dad that the son says this. So that set that aside. I mean, that's a whole other story. But Maddox says something just very cutting to this, to this child. And it just grieved my heart. And uh, that evening, as I'm, Maris and I are, are talking with Maddox, he's nine years old. It comes out that someone at school has been very mean to him. And then he starts telling a story from three years ago uh, before the, the pandemic at a basketball camp where a bully completely rejected him. And he's still thinking about that. that that's one of those scenes that's going to show up in therapy when he's 41 years old. But we were able to talk with him about how Maddox, you know, hurt people. They hurt people. Like when we experience pain and sorrow and rejection, then in our own flesh, as we don't know how to deal with that, we turn around and we inflict that on others. That's the world in which we live. And we need to take responsibility for our, for our actions, but we need to grieve that. We need to mourn that, both the sin done against us and the sin that we've committed to others, uh, not to mention God. So some of us need to learn to mourn our own sin. So when Jesus is looking across this, this uh, group of people and the religious leaders are there listening, right? And when he says, blessed are those who mourn, some people need to mourn the ways in which they have wronged others. Uh, we read uh, Peter, he, he's a great guy. Poor guy, you know, he's got the good, bad, and ugly written about him. So there's this, this story early on uh, when Simon Peter, he's a fisherman, he's trying to catch fish. And finally, Jesus like cast the net, go out a little bit deeper. You know, that's, that's vision. Go, go a little deeper and throw the, water, the net to the other side. And he's like, this dude's a carpenter. What's gonna happen there? Well, all of a sudden, the, the net is filled and Peter realizes that he is in the presence of something way beyond himself. And his response is he falls at the feet of Jesus. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It's like in the presence of Christ, all of his, his wickedness comes, comes through and he comes to terms with it and he's crushed by it. And so some of us need to mourn our sin. Another scene uh, where um, Jesus is telling Peter, you know, I know you're with me, but brother, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. Surely not I. But yet, sure enough, three times he denies even knowing Christ and then Peter remembers the words. Uh, it says immediately a rooster crowed and he remembers the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And it says he went outside and wept bitterly. This is not just uh, casual. I wrote uh, down on my journaling to be revisited. He, he left because he was crushed by his sin. He had to leave the room and wept Bitterly, this is a grown Middle Eastern man mourning over his sin. You know, when's the last time you wept bitterly over your sin? Uh oh, got some zooming here. Okay. 
Thankfully, Paul gives us a little bit of commentary on how to engage with this type of grief, this type of mourning. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 7 that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And salvation does not only refer to like, you know, heaven or hell. Salvation is, is deliverance, like deliverance out of your situation towards something better. So godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. And that's Peter's story. He sat with that, that pain of his own sin until Jesus restored him and he responded and repented and was brought back and, and was a, a leader in the church. And not perfect from that point on. You can read other failures of his. But it says worldly sorrow brings death. If you're stuck in that, that grief and shame and you don't take it to Christ, it does bring death. And Judas is case in point. Contrast, compare and contrast, Peter and Judas, if you want to do a little extra study. And of course, there is mourning as well for having been sinned against. So with, with Maddox, we need to walk through him and help him enter that grief over feeling that rejection, but not stay there to move through it. And then circumstance. Um, sorrow comes for everyone. I think about every human who has been born will inevitably face sorrow and sadness. As much as we try to dodge it, avoid it, uh, insulate against it, sadness is just part of the human experience. And I think there are some here who, who probably need to mourn specific losses that you've experienced just by being born and being a human. There might be specific circumstances um, we cause grief for others. Like, you know, what are the two things that are certain in life that Franklin said? Death and, taxes. Death and taxes. When you pass away one day, which will happen, that will cause grief for someone else who will need to mourn that loss. And you will also experience losses. Reality and, and facing reality, it's a great tool for our discipleship to help us see the world as it truly is and be able to move through it, not dodge the pain and brokenness of this world. And I know we've talked about uh, a little bit about within the age of social media, like it, it's too much for us to handle seeing all the news from all over the world. And yet, even, even um, in, in First Peter, it it tells us that we ourselves, so the end of verse nine here, we know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings as us. So we are to have a, a general awareness of the sufferings that are occurring globally, and that should cause pain and mourning for us. That's part of the support we offer to one another is that we can have empathy. We can be connected to our own pain so that then we're able to come alongside others. So in 1 Peter 5, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So don't just pretend you don't have anxiety. That's not the key. The key is you have anxiety. You have that emotion. Cast it on him. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's a little bit of that spiritual battle. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So when we have a, a, a true awareness of the reality of this world, 
uh, and what is happening culturally across, across the globe. Um, yes, we're experiencing high inflation. I think some of our, our dear brothers and sisters in Ukraine are not as concerned about inflation, just as an example. Um, that, that, that causes mourning. It should cause mourning. We need to lean into that. We need to face reality. So I think we could say, blessed are those who face reality. And I think culturally speaking, we do want to feel our feelings. Um, there's this great quote, so kind of a long quote I'm gonna read here. It's from the Confessions by St. Augustine of Hippo. He's a North African theologian uh, of the fourth and fifth century. So he wrote these words years and years and years ago. So listen to this though, it's, it's super interesting. He says, I was held spellbound by theatrical shows full of images that mirrored my own wretched plight and further fueled the fire within me. Does that sound like the shows we watch, the movies we watch, the books we read? Why is it that one likes being moved to grief? Oh, let me get this. At the sight of sad or tragic events on stage, when one would be unwilling to suffer the same things oneself, in the capacity of spectator, one welcomes the sad feelings. In fact, the sadness is, its, is itself the pleasure. Uh, just last night, my 13-year-old daughter, she said, hey, Dad, you should read this book. It is so sad. And so I had a conversation. I said, well, why should I read it? Because it's sad. And she's like, wait, what are you preaching on tomorrow? So <laughs> she, yeah. We want the shows and movies we watch to move us to experience emotion just not to face our own reality. And I think some of that can be a starting point. Uh, so I think this is where I would correct St. Augustine a little. He says, what incredible stupidity. I'd say, actually, I think uh, utilizing some of that that we watch or listen to to help us begin to connect with our emotion is, is good, but it, we don't stay there. He goes on, the more a person is buffeted by such passions in his own life, the more he's moved by watching similar scenes on stage, although a state of mind is usually called misery when he's undergoing them himself and mercy when he shows compassion for others. But how real is the mercy evoked by fictional dramas? The listener is not moved to offer help. It's like watching a documentary and then feeling like you accomplished something, right? but merely invited to feel sorrow. And the more intensely he feels, the more highly he rates the actor. If these tragic human stories, whether referring to events long past or fictional, are played in such a way they fail to move the spectator to sadness, he walks out in disgust. Man, he didn't make me feel sad enough. That was a waste of money. So yeah, think of our culture, you know, reality TV. We watch reality TV um, while ignoring the plight of our own reality. Last bit to this quote, uh, St. Augustine. He says, I was forced to memorize the wanderings of some fellow called Aeneas while forgetting my own waywardness and to weep over Dido who killed herself for love when all the while in my intense misery I put up with myself with never a tear as I died away from you, O God, who are my life. What indeed is more pitiful than a piteous person who has no pity for himself? I could weep over the death Dido brought upon herself out of love for Aeneas or, you know, um, this is us or whatever show, fill in the blank. Yet I shed no tears over the death I brought upon myself by not loving you. How insightful is that from the fourth and fifth century? So why, why do we resonate with the, the desire to feel the feelings, but yet the uh, wanting to avoid our own 
reality. A few hindrances to our mourning, and I'll focus on the third one. And these are just a few things I thought of this last week. Cerebral Christianity, avoidance, spiritual bypassing, and I think they're all very connected. What I mean by cerebral Christianity is just, um, I think a lot of us, or people that profess faith in Christ, can hide behind scripture or behind theological concepts. And I think for as many amazing things as the Enlightenment and the Reformation brought us, one of the challenges is that in our desire to be theologically correct, but yet not entering into mourning and into our emotion has left the church emotionally stunted, emotionally immature. We know all the right things to say, and we could have a test and we could check the boxes, but is it matching to the in- interior? And that's what integrity is when there's a, there's a match of what I say I believe and what I'm experiencing on the inside, as opposed to the Pharisees who are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but like dead men's bones on the inside. That's all I'll mention on that. A- avoidance. Um, I mean, I think we all know what avoidance is, right? We avoid that harsh reality. I'm at age 41, there's some things where I'm just dawning on me. Oh my goodness, I've been avoiding that. It could be the doctor. Like I need to recheck the cholesterol from three and a half years ago. It could be finances. Like, wow, I'm supposed to retire in set amount of time. What am I doing here? Um, It could be putting an Instagram filter on. Like, I don't like how I look. So let me put this filter on. It could be jumping into metaverse, right? I mean, all these things in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad, but are we facing reality or are we avoiding it? Now, one I want to focus on, spiritual bypassing. Um, I took, took much of this from an article um, called What is Spiritual Bypassing very, on the Very Well Mind website. So what is spiritual bypassing? Stick with me here. Spiritual bypassing is a way of hiding behind spirituality or spiritual practices. It prevents people from acknowledging what they are feeling and distances them from both themselves and others. So some examples could be, you know, avoiding feelings of anger. So when it comes up, you just stuff it. Or avoiding tears even, you know, you just stuff that. And our culture teaches that, at least has in the past. You know, boys don't cry, you stuff it. Terrible thing to teach young boys, Right? Believing in your own spiritual superiority as a way to hide from insecurities. And this looks like creating your own list of what's right or wrong that you can keep so you can judge others and never have to deal with your life. Believing that traumatic events serve as learning experiences or always rushing to the silver lining or quickly rushing to just forgive that person and move on. Only focusing on the positive or being overly optimistic. I mean, there's a, there's a word for that now in our culture. Anyone know it? Toxic positivity. It's like that positivity. Come on, man. Life's not that good. Like, pretty sure there's something underneath there. We all can see it. Except for you. Um, pretending things are fine when they're clearly not. Life is falling apart around you. But pretending it's Okay. So spiritual bypassing, it's a superficial way of glossing over problems in a way to make us feel better in the short term, but ultimately solves nothing and just leaves the problem to linger on. I'm going to give just some, uh, a few specific examples of things people might say if they're engaging in spiritual 
bypass. Everything happens for a reason. With the smile. Just let go and let God. Doesn't the Bible say that? I'm pretty sure he says he's going to come alongside you and you're going to do the hard work to move through it with his support. Um, Oh, that was a blessing in disguise. Sometimes the thoughts and prayers, right? I mean, we just offer the thoughts and prayers. It's a platitude and we move on. I don't think we're saying this one as much, but yeah, the devil made me do it, you know. Um, Hey man, just trust God and then let me, let me move on, right? If something tragic happens or, or something good you want to happen doesn't happen and you just look at someone, hey, it just wasn't God's will. Too enthusiastic, thumbs up, let's move on. Anytime you're not owning your stuff or you're hiding behind, well, I'm just, you know, I'm a broken, sinful man. We'll just move on. Sanctification will catch up with me eventually. Um, or after hurting someone, instead of dealing relationally, maturely with it, just, well, the blood of Christ covers, and, we're, and we move on. That's, that's spiritual bypass, right? That's not entering into the situation and moving through it to greater health. So can you imagine uh, Jesus looking across the crowds of people who are suffering? These people are oppressed by their government, by their religious leaders, And he just looks at them and he's like, guys, I got big plans for you. It's going to be awesome. You can do it. And then he just leaves. That is not the pathway to to depth and maturity in the kingdom. Okay. So we spent a lot of time on the morning side. And I hope you're able to, I would encourage you to enter into your morning. And then this is where we go with it for they will be comforted. So we'll spend the rest of our time. Let's move on from that one. For they will be comforted. All right, so sometimes the the scriptures, the words that, that that we use in our translations, I think are pretty weak. They don't capture what's actually happening here. So this word comforted, it's a little definition for us. It's parakaleo. It's from the word para like by the side in kaleo, to call. So to call one to your side. And we have, the, we have these ideas uh, in, in our culture, a, a para, a paraprofessional, right? It's, it's a, someone in the classroom who comes alongside to comfort a student. What does comfort mean? It means to help them face the reality of their academic challenges and move through it with them. Um, or, you know, a para, uh, paramedic, right? They show up on scene, they come alongside, wow, this situation is really bad, but I'm going to support you. You're going to have to do some things, but I'm going to support you through it, right? That is what uh, the, the word comforted has to do. Not just sitting with someone while they cry and just soothing them. No, coming alongside and moving together with them. Um, <clears throat> so when, when my son Maddox was, was crying and sharing with us, Maris and I were coming alongside him, not just affirming the tragedy or the, the, his sin, but coming alongside him to move with him through to greater maturity as a young man and as a friend. And that's, what, that's what's happening here with the word comforted. We are comforted, and God has given us provision. Uh, we are comforted by the Spirit, by God himself, and by community. 
So support from the Spirit. Um, as we read the word for uh, um, Holy Spirit, or sorry, advocate in John 14 and, and John uh, 15 and in 1 John 2, that word advocate, if you look those, word, those passages up, it'll be translated either as advocate, helper, or comforter. It's the same word used of the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside you, not just to pat you on the back, but to yoke up with you and move forward through your pain, through your reality, to healing and maturity. And the support of community. Ooh, I just unveiled something there. Listen to the words that Paul gives us about Christian community and see the support, the comfort, the uh, alongsideness that we experience from God and that we then offer one another. So in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort or support or come alongsideness, who comforts us. He comes alongside us in all our troubles so we can come alongside those in any trouble with the support we've received from God. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our support abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your support and your deliverance, not just heaven or hell, but your situation and your need to grow. If you are supported, it is, if we are supported, it's for your support, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our support. That is the picture of the church coming alongside one another to help us move through our realities to growth. It's kind of a lighthearted reveal of our new name. We've had an action team working. Here it is, Alongsiders Church. Is that good? You like that? Didn't quite land as I had hoped. Um, we, we do have an action team working on this revisioning process, and, and uh, I'm watching our Slack channel. That's where we've engaged a lot. And uh, Josh threw this out, and, and it was in the context of a conversation where we're talking about this type of support in church. And when I saw it, I was like, that's cool. That's it. That's got to be it. And then I realized it's a joke because the ciders, that's part of our story. <laughs> Us coming alongside one another as Tallgrass Church faced a harsh, difficult reality through COVID and the well faced a hard reality and there was mourning, quite, quite literally our communities came alongside one another you know, to support us through that reality to growth. So how do we respond? And this will go quick. Maybe you've already thought, what do you need to mourn this morning? You might have a new category. There could be something even from your childhood that you need to mourn. You may need specific help with that, you know. Like it may be more than you can have from a spiritual friend to come alongside. You may need counseling, professional counseling to help come alongside that reality, and that's okay. How will you make time and space to mourn? We are busy people, or at least we think we're busy right? How will you carve out the time and space? I mean, for Peter, he had to go outside and weep. Um, Jesus had to go and pray in the garden, shed the tears. It took time. So how will you make 
time and space. Um, how do you sense that God is wanting to comfort you, come alongside you? Is there something in community? It could be a group uh, taking courage and joining a group to come alongside others and to become alongside. How do you sense him wanting to, to comfort you? It could be uh, returning, turning back to Christ for the, you know, uh, as you've strayed away, or it could be turning to Christ for the first time. And then finally, I'd encourage you, have the courage to mourn and then to be comforted, to experience greater health and eventually happiness in, in Christ. I'm gonna invite the worship team up and um, pray for us. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. And we recognize in Isaiah 53, um, that great uh, prophetic uh, scripture given by Isaiah, looking ahead to your son and his life. We recognize that he was despised, that he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was familiar with pain. And at the very moment that Jesus needed comfort, when he needed to support the support his disciples to come alongside him, when he needed you to come alongside him, you were no, you know where to be found. And that he gave his life uh, for me and for my friends here this morning. Uh, your scriptures say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and that the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. And Father, we, we recognize that healing takes time. We're not gonna get fixed up with platitudes and spiritual bypass, but by facing our reality and receiving the comfort, the support of your spirit and community. Father, thank you for Christ's words that he, he invites us to come to him if we're weary, if we're heavy laden, if we're burdened, and he will give us rest. He invites us to yoke up with him and for him to do the heavy lifting. Father, pray over our community. I pray that people wouldn't leave this time and space without that clear next step if you're giving that to them. Quite candidly, we understand that the, the chiefs play at noon. We're hungry. We're busy, but we have this time and space right now to engage with you, Father. In your son's name we pray, amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.